You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Jackson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. On today's show, we're going to be joined by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. We are going to talk with Jim Root from Three Man Weave. You can get the Basketball Almanac, which is a great basketball season preview that's coming up uh, in the 5 o'clock hour. And uh, KU Football officially sold out. As of, uh, as of an hour ago. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Great to hear. All right. I understand that's huge news. Yes. I've got more huge news for Whoa. you. Whoa. Okay. We need more fans like this University of Utah girl who uh, was in Utah. Did you hear we, about that story? She, you think she we need more of those? <laughs> she threatened to detonate the nuclear reactor at Utah's campus if Utah lost to San Diego State. And then got arrested for it. I wonder why. We need, we need more passion like that, Derek. More I thought passion. it was funnier the people who were like, wait a minute, Utah has a what on campus? <laughs> Um, no, we do not need people threatening to blow things up if the football team loses. I We need more passion. No, we do not need that. Uh, I'll tell you what, the vibes are, as Remy Martin once said, the vibes are immaculate right now. We had, I know KU lost to Texas last night in volleyball. Was that yeah. the game? That was a ton of fun, though. They got up yeah. 2-0, couldn't quite finish it off, but number one team in the country. They almost ended up with the victory there. Obviously, football now being sold out on Saturday. Vibes are immaculate. Yeah. What more can we say? One more huge story before you jump into Uh-oh. one more huge story. Mm-hmm. Scientists have discovered, or they have calculated, estimated, that for every human being on Earth, there are 2.5 million ants. Okay, I did see that one. Um, a little scary if the ants ever... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If the ants mobilize... I mean, if animals you, in general... Like, could you stop 2.5 million ants from killing you? Yeah, like each person has to take out 2.5 million to exactly. do their part. Exactly. Now, on one hand, you're like, okay, well, if I'm stopping them, you know. If they're all coming at once, no, yeah, I don't think you can. You're stopping, you know, maybe Depends a thousand Depends what kind of ants, too, right? But two and a half mil? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. there's going to be too many if they're coming all at once. Now, if you have the ability to kind of run around and stomp a couple run, stomp a couple run, maybe. you know, but maybe you have just, a chance. I think you might just run out of stamina at some point. Yeah, you you're might. Overwhelmed. Yeah, you need weapons, you know, if you have, like, a flamethrower or something. Well, I just oh, get, like, a bucket okay, of water. Okay. Just, you know, drown them. If you had a flamethrower, yeah. Yeah, but who has a flamethrower? Uh, <laughs> the wait is over, Kansas. DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. So I'm looking right now at the KU-Duke game and beyond the line and the over-under and everything. They got some uh, player props up right now. What do you think about these? Jalen Daniels, over under 179 and a half passing yards. He was under last week, but that was... Yeah, he was under. But, okay, so the the last week against Houston, it was 225. And that was before they... That was pre... They didn't calculate into consideration the fact that there was going to be a literal hailstorm mm-hmm. that would affect the number of passing yards you would have. So... 
the one seventy nine. I don't know. Is that a is that overcompensating because people see the they saw the box? I'm pounding last week it. And- I'm taking it for sure. The Houston game, you just were able to do whatever you wanted on the ground. I think you have a better defensive, maybe coordinator here who's not going to allow that to happen. And he's been over that mark in every game except for the Houston game that he has started here yep. since the end of last season. So I would I would gladly take that. You also can get Jalen Daniels over under passing touchdowns at one and a half. So I, I'd be okay. tempted by either of those. Here's what's interesting, though. If you go to the rushing props, last week, Devin Neal and Daniel Hyshaw, they were both around like 40. I think they've finally been like, eh, we need to adjust. <laughs> because Daniel Hyshaw's up at 67 and a half. Devin Neal's at 65 and a half. Jalen Daniels is 63 and a half rushing yards. Would you take cool. any of those? Jalen Daniels at 63? Mm-hmm. I I would maybe consider under on that. I don't know. It's just tough to to expect all of those, but they've done it the last couple of weeks. Yeah. This would be what I'd be more interested in if you're going to the rushing touchdown or the rushing props, the touchdowns. You can get Daniel Hyshaw over 0.5, Devin Neal over 0.5, Either one of them, if you're confident in one or the other, are plus odds. So plus 125 or plus 105. You can get Jalen Daniels over half a rushing touchdown at minus 165. Yeah, those are definitely more intriguing than the rushing yards, I think. Yeah, so that's what I'm going with. I'm going Jalen Daniels over passing yards. I'm going Devin Neal over .5 rushing touchdowns. I like that. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets, one boost per eligible game. 10-plus leg required for 100% boost. Opt-in required. Parlay and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. I hate to keep reeling back into the conversation of Lance Leipold and the Nebraska stuff, but I feel like this is definitely worth going back into because it's kind of the, I don't know, like opposite of the stories about he's, you know, Nebraska's interested in him. This is more on the side of Lance Leipold wanting to stay at Kansas. I'm still hesitant anytime I hear anything because we have seen enough coaches in the past who have to be protective over stuff. And then uh, you look back and they take the other job and you're like, well, you said this then. And you know, it's just hard to have everything, but we shared the one the other day with him on uh, Ryan, Ryan Leaf's yeah. yeah podcast or show or whatever it is about that, and you can kind of twist it however you want. This one was, I think, even more impassioned to him staying. So this was part of the Joel Klatt show. Joel Klatt talks a little bit, then Lance Leipold's. Here's the clip. You know, Coach, there's going to be speculation about open jobs out there. And and I'm not going to ask you that question. One, I, I respect your players too much. I was a player, and they don't need that type of distraction. And I'm just going to tell you, I hope you stay because you're building something really cool at Kansas, and I think it would be a great model for the rest of college football to realize that, like, listen, anybody can do it if they get the right guy and they get the right players and everyone's pulling in the right direction. Any program can go and find success. And you know what? It's been really fun watching you so far. And, by the way, behind the scenes, I'm pounding the table. I want to get to Lawrence. I want Big (laughs) News Saturday to come to Lawrence, Kansas. Well, we do too, and uh, we'd love to have have all of you. And, and and with your statement there, which I appreciate, I could not agree with you more. 
And, uh, you know, certain jobs are meant for certain people. I, I've, I, I've kind of been a, a, a sports junkie and a sports fan my whole life. And, uh, but if, but if you look at, uh, you know, Buffalo and Kansas aren't on everybody's uh, uh, list to throw in the resume. And but I but I feel that these are jobs that fit for the right reason and the right challenges. And, you know, uh, the good Lord puts us here for a reason. And uh, my wife and my family are extremely happy here. And uh, as I said, we expect to be here a long time. OK, so again, as we've been through this before, there have been other coaches in the past who have said things and then. It gets run over. And it's not necessarily that they're trying to lie or be dishonest. They just can't totally say everything. Now, that said, that was pretty firm from Lance Leipold. Uh, again, here, here's the part kind of at the end there. Um, I feel that these are jobs that fit for the right reason and the right challenges. And you know the good Lord puts us here for a reason. My wife and my family are extremely happy here. We expect to be here for a long time. I mean, that's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, and again, like you were saying, don't know how much you want to read into it, but but yeah, it is interesting. And I was actually thinking about this. KU is three and zero. Obviously, they're having a lot of success, and for that reason, you want to get media coverage out there for KU. And Lance Leipold has been doing a lot of interviews, right? But at the same time, Lance himself, and also probably the KU PR people, probably had to assume that when he's accepting interviews to go on these various shows, that this question is going to come up. Right. So I think from that standpoint, you can consider and say, oh, well, he probably already had made up his mind of how he was going to answer that question. Right. Whether he was going to say this, that or the other. But but also there are certain things that would make you more surprised that he said than other things. Like, for instance, talking about his family and how they want to stay there for a long time. Like that's that's something that's interesting. Mm -hmm. That's that's not necessarily something I think you you had said it earlier in the week, like. He's saying things that he doesn't necessarily have to say, but he's going out of his way to emphasize them. Yeah, which would just make it so much more like heart-wrenching if, if he <laughs> did end up leaving for Nebraska. But no, I, I do think he is coming from a, a place of honesty and everything. It's just, like yeah. I said yesterday, it's you, you can have the full intention to be somewhere, and then all of a sudden you have a $10 million check in front of your face with all these great amenities and things around you, and maybe things change. But as of right now, I think that's probably about as good of an answer, as firm an answer as you could get, that we'll just leave it from there. We'll leave it be from there until something else comes out, some other big answer or some other big story about this or that, because I think there's nothing more that we can say uh, than just that. KU sitting at 3-0 and right now. Duke on Saturday. There are seven and a half point favorites right now on DraftKings. At this point, would it be like almost disappointing it's so weird because if this team won five games, if this team won four games, we would have before the season said, yeah, that was a, a huge success for this team. At this point with where you are, if they don't go bowling, would that almost be well, a disappointment? Derek, listen, remember before the season, remember, I said that I would rather win four than win five because then I would be mad that we didn't <laughs> win six. I said that. and I'm, That's still true. I'm still holding firm on that. But I listen, we are very, very close to that statement being true of it would be disappointing for KU not to make a bowl. We're very, very close. I don't think we're there. We're very close. A win on Saturday against Duke, I think unequivocally puts us into the yes category at that point. So you win Duke, and then I think at that point you can say, okay, it would be disappointing if we don't make a bowl because then you're looking at you only need to win two out of your next eight games, two of your next eight after going 4-0. So that should be pretty doable, right? So we're, we're close. We're very close. I don't want to say it yet. But we're we're right on the we're right on the edge against Duke. 
And I was actually, I was doing some pondering last night, as as one does. I tend to ponder a lot. I was pondering in my head. We talked. We actually mentioned this, you know, the the yeah buts with KU football. Like yeah, oh yeah, the three and oh yeah, but like when's when's the other foot gonna come down? And I was thinking about this, and you know, I've been feeling pretty nervous about the Duke game or thinking about it a lot. And then I I thought, well, now wait a second. I think would you agree with this statement, Derek? West Virginia and Houston are both better than Duke. Yes, I think I would agree with that. Okay. That's a good way of looking at things. Okay. Those are both on the road. Duke at home. Why am I nervous? Why am I concerned from that standpoint? We just, Cave's coming off of two really solid road wins. Duke, I like I said, like I just posed a question to you, is Duke is probably unequivocally a worse team than West Virginia and Houston. So this should be a slam dunk for KU to get to 4-0. Which I think maybe is a big reason of where the concern comes from. Because when we've had situations like this in the past, especially with KU football, this is where they fumble the ball. No pun intended. So, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to feel. I it's, mean... it's it's. But I think from the from the bowl game standpoint, if you're 4-0, it's, it's bowl season at that yeah. point. It's bowl season. You're not wrong from the standpoint of, hey, if you won at West Virginia and you won at Houston, now you're at home in front of a juiced crowd against a worse team, even though they are 3-0. Like, West Virginia is going to be favored in that game or Houston's going to be favored in that game. Like, of course, you, you should feel good about where you are. It's just what you were saying. It's just that it's, you, it's you haven't boogie, had nice things lately, right, with KU football. It's, it's the KU football boogeyman. Exactly. It's, to where He's underneath your bed just waiting to come ruin all the fun. Mm-hmm. You've just been you, – you haven't been conditioned to expect good things to, to necessarily always happen to you, which is unfortunate, but <laughs> it's just something that you, you don't just shake off overnight. You shake oh, off absolutely. by a, a long I amount mean, I, of I results. Mean, I posed the question to you. I mean, how many games or how, or how long does it take of seeing success – for you to truly shake that thought in your mind. Yeah. But no, I mean, does it take a whole season? Does I, it take It might. Exactly. It how might long, take getting to take? six wins. Exactly. I don't know. But like I'm looking right now on uh, I've gone to this a couple times like Action Network has their power rankings just to tell you at any snapshot in time during the week like if those two teams played on a neutral field, here's what a round Vegas would set the spread at. Houston would be on a neutral field a 10-point favorite over Duke, West Virginia would be about 9. So almost the same as KU, really. Yeah, so that we should have all the confidence in the world. Here. Exactly, but there's like, no reason not the KU to. KU fans, they got the boogeyman underneath their bed, and here comes here comes Lance Leipold coming into the room saying, "Hey, everything's fine, it's okay." Then he leaves the room, and the boogeyman's still there, and he could still come out. <laughs> Is that a good analogy? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully Duke's not the boogeyman. Um, <laughs> it's it's interesting too because. With Duke specifically, they, they're they very similar to Kansas in, in the standpoint of you have this kind of newer coach, you're doing a lot of things that um, are trying to kind of turn the program around, both in terms of what they've been over the last, for, for Duke, the last couple years as opposed to Kansas for the last kind of decade plus. Um, but like athletically, you're not going to be outmatched here. You look at, even if you think highly of Mike Elko at, Duke, like you still feel like you have the coaching advantage. You feel like you have the quarterback advantage. So yeah. every kind of worry going into this game is just the idea that, and I get it. Like it's it's not always congruent because these are eighteen to twenty two year olds, and these are human beings that 
it's not always as simple to say, hey, you're better than that other team. That other team is better than that third team. So therefore, you're always going to beat the third team. No, sometimes you have a bad day. Sometimes you're just not ready for game day. You have a bad week of practice. You're injured. That's why you play the game. Exactly. There's there's different reasons that can go into that, That why this is not just played on paper and it's an automatic Kansas win. If they do win this game, though, I so I'm not quite there to the point where I would say it would be disappointing. Seasons? No, I... I I am at the point now where I actually am thinking they're going to go 6-6. Six and six, But if they lose this game, I think that... Is the sky falling? No, I don't think the sky's falling. It's just going to feel like a missed opportunity here. And if you lose this game, I think it would be... I think it would be a lot more difficult for you to find the path to going bowling at that point because this was such a I mean it's your most winnable well, game remaining. I don't I don't know that that's entirely true because we we've sat here and said 5 and 1 after 6 is the most realistic path. So if you lose to Duke, you still have a chance to beat TCU and beat Iowa State and be 5 and 1 and then you're right in the position that we thought we might be in, which is then all you have to do is you're probably you you're going to be underdogs certainly against Baylor, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So if you're five and four at that point, then it's back to the conversation of you have three games to win one: Texas Tech, Texas K State. Can you win one? Mm-hmm. So I a loss, unless it's like a blowout loss, which again seems ridiculous, but it's just it's just the way it is with KU football. A, a loss, while certainly hurting your chances, I don't think makes it impossible. Yeah, I, I don't think it makes it impossible. I just it, it makes it so much more difficult for you to get there. Now, if you do win this game and take care of business. I think we are going to be all on the bowl season. Yep, I think we are. Even though it's it's not you're you're right there next to it because you still would be two wins away as opposed to just that one. It would be so f- close in front of your face, and at that point you'd have eight games to win two after you started four zero. Yep. yep, you got two more at home coming right after that. Yep. And again, to circle back to what, we, what I said in the preseason was, if KU was going to play well, the early in the season was the best time for them to do that because. This is why they had all they had four, five, six winnable games in the first six games of the season. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing that. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Brian Haney is going to join us in less than 20 minutes from right now. This is RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. We've got the voice of the Jayhawks joining us now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Brian Haney, you can hear the game on Saturday with kickoff at 11 o'clock, pregame at 930 here on KLWN. We're going to be out of Big Mill before the game for our extended pregame show at 8.30. So, Brian, KU sitting at 3-0, and headed into this matchup. After the big Houston win, it, it kind of felt like to me like the West Virginia win was a, it, it was clear the team is going to be better and they're going to be competitive. The Houston win to me felt like it was the statement that, no, this is just like a good football team. I guess, what have you been most impressed with from this team and, and how they have kind of completely turned everything around from past seasons, past teams, and and all of a sudden turned this program, this school, into a legitimately good football team this year? Man, where do you begin on where are you most impressed? I mean, obviously, Jalen Daniels is the National Offensive Player of the Week. He jumps off the page. First time we've had a guy on the Heisman list since Riesing and haven't had a Heisman finalist since David James. So, I mean, it's it starts with him. That's so exciting. But to me, I'm equally impressed with the scheme that Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator, has implemented and the way all these pieces are fitting together. I mean, it, it really is like the perfect execution of, of taking a look at your roster, 
What do we have? What, what do we have an abundance of? Where are we blessed? How do we accentuate the positives and, and make the most of what we have? And, you know, in surveying the roster in the offseason, they had just a bevy of talented running backs, a multitude of really talented tight ends, and receiver was going to come along, you know, after that, but mainly it was running backs and tight ends. And so they, they devised a scheme with two capable rushing friendly quarterbacks, both Daniels and Bean, that would utilize multiple backs on the field at the same time, have all kinds of options for pitches and misdirections and all of that, while allowing the tight ends to do what they do best, which is block in most instances, or get open in others. And, you know, you look at this scheme three weeks in and they really are playing to their strengths. They really are, you know, ex- ex- taking a look at the, the most positive things they have on the roster and, and coming up with, you know, a formula for success that accentuates those positives in the best possible ways. And so that to me has been really impressive. And then, you know, the defense has been slower in coming along, obviously, but I thought week three was a huge step in the right direction for the Kansas defense and to see how quickly they helped the Jayhawks get back in the game after another week of falling down 14 nothing out the gate to see the interception by Kenny Logan, the sack forced fumble, fumble recovery by Jeremy Robinson, Caleb Sampson, Rich Miller, all made huge plays. And it's just a great example of if you recruit the right transfer portal guys, how quickly you can flip the switch and be so instantaneously better. Look at Lonnie Phelps, now five TFLs. He's uh, one of the best in the Big 12 in that regard, top 20 in the country in that regard. You've got Craig Young making plays, the linebacker position. Both uh, Grant and Gervin in the defensive backfield have made some nice contributions. You knew that in this day and age of a lot of players hopping conferences and, and flipping programs and all that, that it would be easy to get a whole lot better pretty quick. But you still have to hit on the right guys, not only as a talent fit, but a culture fit. And I think the way that with all those names, Eric Gilliard as well, you look at the offensive line with Dominic Cooney and the way he stepped in right away and made that group solidified at left guard. There's just so many examples of these plug-and-play transfer portal guys being an ideal fit for Kansas that you can't help but would be excited about our own talent evaluation abilities on staff and their ability to sell this program. And if they were able to get this much better this quickly through the portal, just imagine how much easier it's going to be when they can point to success on the field and get the guys they want to get both through the portal and in high school recruiting. That was a topic at the press conference yesterday. Uh, I believe it was John Kirby asking Andy Kotelnicki about, you know, the point of the 3-0 and start with some of these Kansas City area kids and how much more traction and, and, and more attention are you getting in, with inroads made with some of these uh, higher-touted four-star area kids. And he said, absolutely, they're listening more, and they're more attentively locked in in the midst of the 3-0 and start. So I think all those things are encouraging signs, and uh, hopefully we'll keep it coming. But I think we know this much, even though the sample size is small, it's still 25% of your season. You absolutely have something truly special with number six. I mean, he is he's the best we've had since number five was back there, Todd Reesing. And what he's doing with Kotelnicki's scheme and the way he's able to, as not just a capable passer, but an elite running quarterback who has the vision of, according to Kotelnicki, uh, an upper-tier Big 12 running back. That's the type of vision and sight lines that Daniels has in the ball carrier. What he's doing is truly special. And if you continue to make plays around him, 
the defense continues to make strides week to week, this is absolutely a team that can dream of a bowl game. And that may be a year ahead of schedule in the eyes of many, but that's right now what they're on a collision course for, especially if they can hold serve at home during this homestand. And by that I mean win two of the next three. You don't expect to win all three. You absolutely could. The way they're playing, they could absolutely be 6-0. But if you at least win two of the next three, you're in prime position as you flip the schedule card for a back half. It's, it's a lot tougher than the front half. But at that point, you'd be one win shy of bowl eligibility. And not many would have forecast that going back to the offseason. Yep, which makes this game against Duke even more important. And who knows? I know there was you know, a lot of chatter about college game day for, for this week's game against Duke. I mean, Iowa State's favored against Baylor. If Iowa State beats Baylor, they'll be ranked. If Kansas beats Duke, we saw them receiving votes. Maybe they'll be right around there. Maybe... Next week, there could be college game day. I don't know. Um, but what about this matchup yeah. with Duke? I guess whether it is storylines, whether it's player matchups, kind of sticks out to you the most for uh, the Jayhawks versus the Blue Devils on the football field. Well, there's some interesting symmetry in the way these two programs are trending upward right now, and it's interesting to note that the last win they had under Coach Cutcliffe before he was let go was Kansas. They didn't win again after that. And that's why Coach Elko is here now. And so he's bringing in new culture, new messaging. He's, you know, bringing in a new way of doing things. And, and apparently the buy-in has been tremendous in Durham. They're just a year behind the Lance Leipold schedule of doing all those same things at Kansas. It's a team that I think has some impressive talent, but I don't know that I would say they're more athletic than Houston. Uh, I don't know that I'd say that they're more gifted than, than West Virginia. They did win at West at Northwestern 31-23 in Week 2, which is a Power 5 non-conference road victory. So they've already got one of those on the wall. But Temple and North Carolina A&T around that certainly doesn't uh, you know, look as impressive as what Kansas has done when you consider Big 12 road win and a place you've never won against a team that's uh, – went to a bowl game a year ago, and then a road win against a future Big 12 school that went 12-2 and last year, was picked in Vegas to go 10-2 and this year, and some thought could run the table if they won in Lubbock in Week 2. I mean, to me, Kansas' 3-0 start is much more impressive. But Duke clearly has bought into what Coach Elko was preaching, and you know it's the fifth straight year of them opening the season with a new quarterback. you got to go back to you know, the breakout of, of Daniel Jones, the New York Giants that, uh, that started this stretch here of, of all these different quarterbacks. And so the good news is we don't have to worry about Gunnar Holmberg to rush for those four touchdowns against this last year when they beat it 52 to 33. But I do think Riley Leonard is very capable. Just a sophomore, bigger guy, but he's got plenty of rushing capability. We saw that last week with 66 rushing yards and two touchdowns versus North Carolina A&T. They got a couple of backs in, in Waters and Coleman that are both very much involved in this offensive scheme. Calhoun is back at receiver. He gave us some fits a year ago, five catches, 67 yards, and a touchdown in the game out there. But it's not overwhelming talent, I don't think. It's certainly impressive talent, and it's respectable talent. But, you know, we've seen Bryce Ford Wheaton in week two, who's going to be a first-team All-Big 12 receiver. We've seen, you know, an All-American caliber kick returner in Tank Dell in week two of Houston, and Kansas largely neutralized him. The starters, we only had to punt twice, and secondarily, I thought the coverage on him was excellent. At halftime, he only had two catches for eight yards. So what I'm getting at is, and it's not meant to downplay what Duke's bringing at all. Uh, I think they're well-coached, and I think they've got a lot of impressive pieces, but 
we scheduled very ambitiously in the first month. Granted, we didn't pick to play West Virginia in game two, but you know what I'm saying. We're battle-tested at this point, and we face some of the individual weapons that uh, you know, will absolutely grow you up as a football team, as a secondary, as a coverage unit, whatever. And so there's nothing about this Duke team that is exceptionally better than anything we've seen to this point. And I hope I'm phrasing that in, in a tactful way that, that implies that they're very capable of coming in and beating us. And at the same time, I'm not the least bit surprised that Kansas is in the minds of some a nine or a ten point favorite in this one, because Kansas has played that well. They won that convincingly at Houston, and I think Duke, though a good football team and a nice storyline with a first year head coach, um, you know, comes in capable but not overwhelmingly gifted at spots where you're just like, whoa. They've clearly got the edge there. I think this Kansas team is so much different than the club that lost out there a year ago and, and really got it taken to them in the second half after a nice first 30 minutes. We're, we're so much deeper, so much bigger, faster, stronger, and obviously we have an entirely different quarterback orchestrating everything. And So you really can't even compare the two rosters from last year to this year in looking for commonalities from last season's 52-33 to 33 loss in this one. That's how far we've come. That's how different, uh, in, in both cases, these programs are. Uh, all the way to the leadership atop the Duke program. So that's kind of how I look at it. I, I'm a little bit bullish on our chances this week and uh, feel like we got a great shot to get to 4-0. And I loved you were, you were kind of uh, baiting the listeners there. Maybe, just maybe, if <laughs> Iowa State and Kansas are both 4-0, maybe, just maybe, it's game day. I mean, whether we get game day or not, Next Friday night to kick off homecoming weekend. Have you heard about this rock chalk yeah. rock party? They're going to have Chris Lane, the country music artist out there, uh, Todd Reising, Daryl Stuckey, Travis Goff, all speaking up on stage down on Mass Street. That's going to be a ton of fun and set the stage for what should be a sellout the next day versus Iowa State, what should be just a fabulous homecoming weekend throughout. So whether Lee Corso and company decide to join us or not, I, I think. Uh, we're in for a great amount of fun these next couple of weeks, really the next three weekends consecutively, if Kansas can keep this climb coming. Well, you uh, certainly have had some exciting moments in calling KU games against Duke on the basketball floor. I think both wins that you have called Kansas against Duke, I don't know if they've played them in baseball or something recently, but uh, it was the Frank Mason shot and it was the 2018 Elite Eight game to go to the Final Four, so... I guess if that trend continues on, we're going to get like a triple overtime winner here for KU. <laughs> I think so. And I have vivid memories of all those games. In fact, we're having this conversation as I sit in my office at KU, and I, I've got a special piece of memorabilia uh, framed on my wall here. And it, what it is involves a great story of B. Haney going dumpster diving mm. live on the air. So you want to hear that? Yes, I love um, that. So that, that first, <laughs> first Duke game... <laughs> It was actually our second game of the season. I didn't get to do the first first game, which was Indiana out in Hawaii because we had a KU football conflict, okay. and so Josh Klingler did it. So my first basketball game on the call was Champions Classic in New York, and the call, which I have framed with this piece of memorabilia I'm about to tell you about, was hang, shoots, delivers, Frank Mason, and, and uh the, the moment that that happened, I think there was about four seconds left, maybe five seconds, he hits the shot to win the game. They had a desperation heave, no good, Kansas wins. And we're calling this from literally the tip-tops of Madison Square Garden, which is like 
so high up you need binoculars to make out jersey numbers. <laughs> but uh, after the game is over and we're doing our post game up there, we're watching down on the floor as the, the crew from MSG is very quickly tearing apart all the basketball set up. I think they had a concert the next night. They literally do like 350 events a year at Madison Square Garden. And so they're ripping the Champions Classic logo off center court, which, you know, is just this adhesive, basically glorified sticker. And, and they're, they're just wadding it up and throwing it away. And so I, you know, we throw to a, a taped interview at that point, and I go sprinting down there from the top row at MSG, <laughs> and, and I asked the custodian, I said, hey, can I, can I have that? And he's like, yeah, it's garbage. And I'm like, not to me. And what he's thrown away was, was the center court sticker that specifically had the Jayhawk on it. They had all four schools, Duke and Michigan State and Kentucky and Kansas, but he specifically threw away the Jayhawk. And so I literally went dumpster diving and pulled it out, and it was, it was big enough that I could give half of it to Frank Mason's dad, who was there that night, and I got to keep the other half. And the other half is framed with, with the call and a picture of Frank hitting the shot on my wall here for my first game as, as first the Jayhawks. But you fast forward to 2018 in Omaha, got to meet Jim Nance right before the tip-off of that Elite Eight game. And he's like, oh, you're Tom Hedrick's student. Yeah, I've heard about you. Isn't Tom the greatest? How's he doing? You know, and just, just couldn't have been nicer. Uh, and, and talked about my mentor and, and both of our mentors and, and how much we think of Tom. And, uh, and then obviously we get to call a game where Malik Newman kept up his amazing run in March and C hit a huge shot. And that shot that, that hung up there from Grayson Allen on the rim, like an egg on an equinox, it was just sitting there upright for what seemed like two or three Mississippis and then finally crawled off the iron. Hearts in our throats. I mean, we, we didn't know what was going to happen, but thank God it fell off no good and Hawks go on to win it. But uh, we have had some great, great memories and those are some fun stories and reliving them. Um, but it's time to make new memories and time to do it on the gridiron. So let's see if Kansas can go out there. And while I would love a triple overtime game, like you mentioned, so long as we win it, again, I don't want to sound like I'm overly confident here, but I, I really feel like Kansas can win this one going away. And that's not taking anything for granted, but I think a similar feel to the Houston game where you know they get on a run and, and get a chance to stir up that rock chalk chant with about five minutes to go. And, and by the way, how cool was that? For a program that struggled for a decade to win anywhere away from home, to not only have a home lead, or rather a, a visiting lead, uh, on the road in back-to-back weeks, but you're up so big, three scores at that point, that the stadium's emptying out. All that are remaining are a smattering of Cougar fans and Jayhawks all around the stadium at TDECU Stadium. And with five minutes to go, the Rock Chalk chant is so loud and proud that we didn't even really have to turn up the mics that much. I asked Steve Kincaid on the air, crank it up. We didn't have to. They were that loud and that prevalent. And again, for a road-weary team that for more than a decade until Central Michigan you know, was struggling to get any kind of wins away from the booth, to have that feeling and have that proud greatest chant in all the college sports being echoed about H-Town last Saturday night, Man, that's a moment I won't soon forget. And let's hope it's the first of many like that as this program proves it can win home, away, or neutral sites as in bowl game here in the months ahead. Well, Brian, uh, we're to that point of the interview. Do you have a name of the week for the KU-Duke matchup? <laughs> you and I were talking this over the other mm-hmm. day. You helped me with this one. A we couple options. At the uh, Lance Leipold press conference. And there are. 
Um, but I think the one we decided sounded the funniest, and it, it's not to make fun, it just it kind of rolls off the tongue in a funny way, but Aeneas Peebles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Aeneas Peebles. You just, and, you just don't, don't imagine a Peebles, you know. Yeah, Aeneas Peebles. So, so I, I think it's going to roll off the tongue. Who is Aeneas Peebles? Well, he's a defensive tackle that's not a starter, but he's in the rotation. He'll get reps. He wears number 92. But Aeneas Peebles is, is our name of the week on the, uh, the opposition roster. There were several other good options, some of which have four- and five-syllable last names, but I, I think I like the Aeneas Peebles for this week. He is not feeble. He's a big boy. He uh, stands in at 6'1", 290, but uh, Peebles is the name for Aeneas. Yeah, I, I think you could switch Aeneas Peebles with Bubba Baxson from last week, and Bubba Baxson sounds to me more like the defensive lineman. Aeneas Peebles, to me, sounds more yep. like a kicker. And maybe it's just, I I don't know, whenever I hear Peebles, I think of like one of my favorite cereals as a children, like Fruity Pebbles. Or I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> exactly, yes. Completely agree. And, and Bubba was jacked, by the way. Like I, on paper, he looked thick, and then I saw him in person. I'm like, this dude, he he hits the weights. But uh, but yeah, Bubba Baxter does not sound like a kicker, and Aeneas Peoples does not sound like he'd be six one two ninety. But he is, and he's somebody to look for in that four two five defensive set of Duke. Well, Brian, appreciate you taking some time out of your day. As always, I uh, look forward to hearing you on the call. And uh, word from Nate Miller before you go. You never know what you're going to get on these segments. Some days we even talk dumpster diving <laughs> live on the air. You just never know. But you do know what you're going to get with Nate Miller and oh, the retirement group folks over there because <laughs> they will segment. survey your portfolio. Even if you don't have one, they'll put one together for you and help you make the most sound financial investments for your future. So check them out today, MillerRetirementGroup.com. MillerRetirementGroup.com. I got to know Nate and his brother through the Round Ball Classic. They're two of the most generous guys you'll ever meet. And uh, they've done a lot for their own wealth and and livelihood with great financial decisions. And they want to share some of that knowledge with you. So check them out today. MillerRetirementGroup.com. Thanks as always, Derek. We'll see you on Saturday, bud. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. That was Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN, KLWN.com. Coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to be joined by Jim Root of Three Man Weave in the Almanac to preview the college basketball season. It's uh, coming up faster than you think. Late night in the fog is like three weeks away, which is uh, pretty crazy to think about. And but even, we've been Even then, it's it's later than usual, right? Doesn't it normally? Yeah. I, I think last year, late night was like September 30th, which would be a week away. Yeah, so and look at us. Back, yeah. I mean, outside of like doing this college basketball preview, which we'll do at the top of the five o'clock hour, we've like spent the entirety of our shows <laughs> here in the month of September and August talking KU football. And for good reason. Yep. It's been awesome. Yep. I love it. I, yep. I want it to always be like this. Absolutely. I enjoy this. It's Absolutely. fun. Um, our KU mailbag is brought to you by Meritrust Credit Union, and we have some questions on here. Thank you to everybody who submitted. You can hit us up at RCST1320 or at D Johnson Radio. I think Nick is at Nick Springer29. If you yep. have any questions that you want to ask for future mailbags, maybe we'll see it by the time we're doing this one. First question, <laughs> though, is from Hawkman, and he actually asked this one. It, 
I, I didn't see it till after we had this conversation, so I just told him I'd put it on the mailbag. We were talking about the college football playoff national championship. Yep. We were talking about how it got uh, a time where it's earlier than normal at 6.30 Central Time, 7.30 Eastern Time. Usually, I want to say it's like it's 8.30 like, yeah. Eastern Time, it's something like that. an hour later, or even later, I feel like. He said, imagine living in Alaska or Hawaii for the championship game. And because we also, we ranked the time zones. zones, So he wants us to add in Hawaiian time and Alaskan time. So just for clarity. So I thought thought Alaskan time was the same time as California time. I guess it's an hour earlier. Okay. Or an hour later? No, it'd be earlier. It'd be earlier. Because California time, yeah, California time is two hours. Pacific time is earlier, two hours earlier than us. Okay, but like, would you say... That Eastern time is an hour later or an hour earlier than us? Hour later. But it's they're ahead of us. So wouldn't that make it earlier? But it's later in the day. But they're ahead of us. <laughs> what? Why would that be earlier, though? <laughs> because they're in front of us. If you're ahead, you'd be earlier. That is some galaxy brain stuff <laughs> that you're doing, and I don't like it. Um <laughs> I'll just put it this way. Okay. Right now, it's 4.07 Central Time. Yep. Pacific Time would be 2.07. And Alaska, Alaskan Time 10. would be 1.07. Okay. And then Hawaiian Time is two hours... Behind Alaskan Time. Yes. So it would be 11.08 right now. Thank I think God we're not doing this in the, as the first segment of the show, because this is too much money. I know, right? I think Hawaiian Time is kind of like... Um, I think they do this in like Arizona, where like during... They have certain times a year where it's like they don't do five hours off, and other times it's like six hours off. They don't do daylight savings. But I guess now that daylight savings is like gone, right? They passed gone. that. I thought they passed that amendment. They're not going to do it anymore. Oh, did they pass it? Is it like yeah. official? I thought that became well, official. A I guess we're going to find out because in November we're supposed to fall back. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're not doing it anymore. Really? So I don't know how that works. I was um, not aware of that. Yeah. Anyway, so now we have all the, the those time zones. So. First of all, I'll say this. That means that the championship for Alaskan time is at 3.30. Hawaiian time is at 1.30. That okay. sucks because it's on a Monday. No, I actually think this is great. It's even better because <laughs> then you can just take a – it's all the more reason to justify taking a half day on Monday. But then you have just, to – it's what? like the what? first month of the year, if you only have a limited amount of days you get off, you're already using a half day. I don't if love that. If you really care about college football, you're absolutely doing that. <laughs> but I don't want to have to. It doesn't matter. Screw your screw uh, your family vacation <laughs> schedule for September, man. <laughs> I mean, I mean seriously, how how dedicated to fans are we talking here? Uh, if you can't give up a half day, a half day in January, I don't know that you're a true college football fan. Wow. Is that All is right. that am I, am I wrong for that? I'm just saying it's kind of nice to not like, think have about it, dude. To. In Hawaii, 1.30 kickoff, you go to lunch at 12.30, take a half day, you're done. You're chilling. And the even bigger bonus is if you decide to you know, consume some beverages or whatever, have yourself a good time for the national championship game, you've got the whole evening. The game will be done by by 5 o'clock. you got the whole evening to just chill out and recover before you go to work on Tuesday. No, that's true. I don't love that, though, the fact that it's a Monday. It'd be fine if it was like Saturday or Sunday or something. I will say that is kind of nice for like uh, Super Bowl is typically I want to say around like four or five o'clock. Yeah, that means Hawaiian time. It's like what like ten o'clock time? or something, yeah. eleven. Yeah, to where you just wake up, you watch Super Bowl, and you have your whole night in front of you. After that, yeah. that can be yeah. sort of nice. Uh, but if we're ranking time zones, so okay, you had Central Time one, I had Mountain Time one. We just switched Mountain and Central Time. Yep, and then we had I think Pacific Time three, Eastern Time four. Is that what we agreed on? Yeah. Okay, so where would Alaskan time and Hawaiian time slot? Uh, Alaskan time is going to go behind Pacific time because 
I don't know, just because it just makes sense. To mm. me. Like, like it's too early. It's, it's only yeah, like exactly. Like on a Sunday morning, I want to wake up and I can watch NFL football at 10 a.m. But at 9 a.m., I might need to still do my chores. Yeah, like, go to the grocery store or something. I think wouldn't NFL football be on it? No, I guess it is three. A.m. Yeah, so it is so not, nine a.m. Nine a.m. Nine a.m. for NFL. That's, and that's, that means college football is at eight a.m. Yeah, that's too early. Too early. You got to do. You got to take football care of your weekend chores or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's why Alaskan time is below. What is it below Eastern time though? No, I haven't. Hold on, I haven't got there yet. <laughs> okay. After Alaskan time, I think I would put Hawaii time next for the same logic because again, you're waking up at then you then you you have NFL football at seven a.m. kicking off, right? Here's a question for you. If, if for the NFL, you have regional games broadcasted depending on where you are. What games do they broadcast in Hawaii? That's a just great the question. National, just like the national games? It could be. I. It might just be like maybe there's a broad sect of whatever fan like like is it do they do they do they do 49ers games do they well, do they might um they might you know Seattle games I I'm sure they have a read on like what the the majority of fans there are it could be 49ers it could be um who knows maybe it's like the based Chargers, on right Raiders. it could be the Chargers you've had players who have been really famous like from the area that have gone on yeah. pro whether yeah. it's Troy Polamalu with the Steelers whether it's uh yeah Manti Teo whether it's Junior Seau or something with the Chargers so I- I'm sure they have a read on that that would be kind of why but that's dude that's brutal I'd rather be East Coast time than Hawaiian time no okay so Hawaiian time goes below Alaskan time then an additional 50 feet of crap then Eastern time <laughs> I just I'd rather stay up late than get up that early to watch games. Like I'd rather be up at two in the morning watching the game than be have to wake up at six in the morning and start my pregame rituals for the football game. That sounds horrible. <laughs> so I don't I don't yeah, I don't love I mean, that. Nah. All right, next I, question. I still don't like Eastern time. <laughs> is from Evan. Over under prediction for attendance this weekend. Now, Evan submitted this the other day. Um, and now since it's been sold out, but that's, do we have a question? uh, Because you've seen this before. Everybody has where, where a stadium announces a sellout, but that doesn't necessarily mean everybody goes to the game. All the tickets are sold, but that doesn't mean all the seats are filled. So So what do you think? We've kind of changed the question a little bit. The question becoming fans in seats. Mm -hmm. So Evan submitted it and said, he set the line at over, or he set the line at 43,600 and a half. Okay, half person. <laughs> so, are we thinking? Are we thinking? Let's say, I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's fair to say right at kickoff because people might still be coming in. So, like, you know, by this end of the first quarter, second quarter, when you have the peak number of people, fans in seats, is there going to be more than forty three thousand six hundred people butts in seats at the booth? I think there will be, but I, I don't think there think, will be too. I don't think this is an event where you just like buy tickets not to show up. No, I I agree. I agree. Like, if if you're buying a ticket to a, to this game, you're you're going. Yeah, probably. A, a lot of those situations where it's like, oh, we have a sellout tonight, but you can clearly tell it's it's not like a sellout in terms of the people there. Yeah. Are in situations where it's it's teams that have a lot of season ticket sales. Exactly. Or like and, Nebraska. Nebraska yes. sells out every week, but I guarantee you their stadium is not. I mean, it is full because they have a lot of very loyal fans, but I guarantee you they don't have every single seat filled. Yeah. So I I think it will actually be pretty fit. I I wouldn't be surprised if it is like a hundred percent capacity so in there. Capacity is forty seven thousand, mm-hmm. I think two hundred. So we're talking, you know, 
if we're talking every fan in seats, we're talking additional 4,000 fans. I I think so. I think they'll be in there. I like it. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the over and they, as they, well. I don't know if you saw, but they KU Athletics announced a bunch of stuff, extra precautions for the increased people. I think they're doing – I think I, – I think uh, I was – I didn't read it, but they're doing something pregame where, like, you get discounted drinks. Like, yeah, it's basically like a happy hour inside the stadium. Basically, to give incentives to get people inside. Like, that's very smart. I think Travis Goff continues to just knock it out of the ball. knock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay, this one is from Jonathan. Who finishes higher in Big Twelve play? KU football or KU women's basketball? This is an interesting one. So, uh-huh. KU women's basketball finished fifth in the Big Twelve conference last year. And we've had this discussion about KU football, you know, just this week of how high maybe could they finish? Is it possible they finish in the top four? Is it possible they finish top five, top six, whatever? And the other thing about this is women, KU women's basketball, they're returning a lot. We heard from Brandon Schneider. We had him on the show last week. And, yeah, I think there's a lot of confidence around that program and what they're able, what they are hopefully able to carry over from their trip to the NCAA tournament from last year. So, I think the answer might have to be women's basketball at this point, just because there's, so there's a couple different angles you can look at this from. Number one, they finished fifth in the conference last year, whereas KU football was last and they're trying to work their way up. But number two, I was thinking about this in the, in football, you only get one game a week, right? You only get a certain number of, of conference games. So if you have a bad game in conference, that really hurts you in football In basketball, you're playing 20 conference games. So if you have a bad day, bad game in the conference game, yeah, it sucks, but you can shake it off and still end up doing well in conference. And KU, KU Women's Basketball went 11-7 and seven in conference last year, finished fifth. I see no reason why they couldn't replicate that or even finish higher. And for KU football, obviously we are feeling very optimistic about them, but we still don't really fully know, do we? No. So I think women's basketball is the safe bet. Football is definitely intriguing, obviously, for various reasons because of the notoriety they're getting and the way they've in which they've been performing early in the season, but I think women's basketball has got to be your pick. I would agree. I think it's women's basketball. Um, football has clearly shown an affinity that they, you know, who knows? Maybe it could be something where it's like fifth through eighth are all tied. So technically, you're tied fifth. Technically, you finish fifth. I will say the one thing that makes it really tough from the women's basketball front, the Big 12 is loaded. Like, I'm looking at the ESPN way too early top 25 they released earlier in the spring. Texas is number four. Iowa State is number seven. Oklahoma's number 10. Let's see. So that's yeah. three in front of you right there. They got Baylor up there? They do have Kansas at 21. They have Baylor at 25, which is interesting. Okay. I guess maybe finally starting to see yeah. the Slipping the loss of their head coach from the year prior. Yeah. Um. So that would put Kansas at fourth. Obviously, Kansas State wasn't in there because Ahsoka Lee, who was National Player of the Year, unbelievable, injured out for the year. So... That could hurt you there. I do think there's a chance that the Kansas on the women's front could finish top four. And if, like, grown roles, bigger improvements from players like Tyana Jackson, who were, like, already good last year but could take another step this year, maybe they do find their way into surprising some people and even contending for a Big 12 championship this year. And I don't think we're quite there with KU football. So I do think it is KU women's basketball. But in theory, if KU is going to be picked somewhere between fourth to sixth in the conference— and the KU football team does have a chance early on, based on what we're seeing, to if they keep this up and keep the positive momentum to finish, yeah. you know, tied fifth, tied sixth. It's, it's not that crazy of a question. No, no. I mean, especially if KU football is able to win against Iowa State and TCU, then you're you're looking at already having three conference wins at that point. Yeah, if you're KU. 
Uh, this one from Jeff. What is the best spot to sit at a KU football game? Okay, I spent way too long <laughs> analyzing this question. I took a deep dive on this one. All right, so here's the deal. Obviously, between the 40s is generally the best, right? right? And you're, and I think for in terms of best spots, like depending on the stadium, which at the booth it's maybe not the best, the front rows are not actually like maybe the best seats. You're looking at like the 10 to 20 row range, probably, if you're looking for the just because people optimal. are blocking you exactly, in front of you. Exactly. Or, or you know, if, if you're front row, you're getting a face full of the bench, but you might not be able to see the field as, as well. So I think, you know, you're looking at rows 10 to 20 between the 40s for optimal. But because of the orientation of the booth, there are some interesting possibilities here. Number one, I actually I was at the Tennessee Tech game. Kickoff was at, I don't even remember, what time was kickoff? Uh, seven, seven, maybe. Seven, oh, yeah. The point is, the sun was setting, and the booth is oriented in such a manner that if you are on the student section side, so the the visitor's bench side, the sun is directly in your face as the sun is setting. So if it's an afternoon game, like Iowa State coming up next week, 2.30 mm-hmm. kickoff, as that game progresses, if you're on the if you're on the student section side, you're gonna have a you're gonna have the sun in your face, which could be kind of a negative thing. But if the weather is cold, then that suddenly becomes a positive. Then you don't want to be on the general admission side because you're going to be in the shade and it's going to be cold. And also, you do have to consider you don't want to sit too high because when it does get cold and the wind is blowing, then you're going to be having a really bad time. So there's a lot of factors mm. here that go involved in, in picking the best seats. But I think you're I think the, the kickoff certainly depends. But it's pretty it's a pretty safe bet between the 40s, row 15, somewhere in that area. And then again, it's it's just a matter of if it's an afternoon game, you got to be careful about the sun if you're on that side. But but the sun could be a boon if it's cold, because then you have the sun to warm you up. So, and you got to keep in mind the wind. It gets windy in Kansas, you know. So there's a lot of factors involved. But uh, if you're if you want if you're saying give me a seat for the rest of the season, I'm taking between the 40s, row 15. I think that's a safe bet. I like that you did kind of science it out there. I would give a little bit of love. Like, is this just? I mean, what what are we stopping at here? Can you can you have a suite? I'd love to sit in a suite, but they are okay. Well, I I I am operating under the assumption that we this was not about suites. No, it was just like on the field. Well, because if you if you include suites, then obviously the suites the answer. You could also say that the suites are too far away. You know, I want to be closer to the action. Maybe Put me on the fifty yard line. Okay, if it's a maybe. good weather game. Um, what about the touchdown club? Good to be right on the field. Yeah, but again, I think then you come into the issue of if you're really trying to watch the game, you're not going to be able to see the other end very well. No, yeah, that's definitely brutal. But touchdown club, you have the advantage. You can have like a TV right there. You could. Watch other games while you're watching KU. You enhanced could. experience. Yeah. I like the angle you're coming from because I was coming from the angle of strictly yeah. watching KU football. No, I wanted to throw something different in there. Okay. Yeah, I, I yeah. would definitely say, yeah, you got to be on the side. But- I the other part of this that I didn't fully flesh out is obviously distance to bathrooms, distance to concession stands yeah. is very important also. So depending on what section you're in, you'd want to pick a section that has probably a closer entrance or exit mm-hmm. to the bathrooms or concessions. Good point. That's important to keep in mind. Yes, very good point. Also depends, you know, where's your tailgate situation, right? True. Um, yeah, where are you tailgating at? No, I think you're I think you're spot on with, though with trying to be on the what would be the, the west side. Where yep. you have the yep. the coverage, for the most part, like you said, if it is a game where it is colder, maybe you switch over to the side where you want the sun. I mean, on dude, side. imagine if it's a two thirty kickoff and it's yeah. like freezing, and the sun starts Give to me the set, sun. and you're in the shade mm-hmm. on the side with the press box. Whew. 
That's going to be cold. I think that's good, though. But yeah, give me the sweet. Um, <laughs> this one from Allen. Better sophomore season. Zach Clements or Devin Neal? A little cross-sport one there. Yeah, this is interesting. I my Hard gut, to compare. Yeah, my gut tells me to go with Clements. If nothing else, because I think it's pretty clear right now that Devin Neal is maybe not going to get the workload that we expected him to get just because of the depth of talent in the running back room. Like, I think we knew there was going to be a lot of rotation, but I think through the first three games, KU fans were probably expecting Devin Neal to have more carries or more yards than he has right now, which that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. I'm just saying maybe coming into the season, that was the expectation that Devin Neal was going to be the clear number one. Well, so right now he's on pace for 816 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns. Like, what's the equivalent of that in basketball? Like averaging uh, eleven and seven, yeah. Is that about equivalent? Maybe a little less. Ten and six. Ten and six. Yeah. Can Zach Clemens average ten and six? He can. He can. He can. We still don't know though. It could be him. It could be Ernest Uday. It could be Zuby yeah. Edger. I there don't know. It could questions. be someone else. Yeah. There are center. some. There are some rotational questions as well for KU basketball. But I, I don't know. My gut tells me to go with Clemens. I'm gonna go Devin Neal. Like I said, those numbers. Also, he only has 28 carries, which to your point on the workload thing, is that something where they're just resting him and not having to use him as much? Like, is there going to be a game yeah. in there where he does have 25 carries and the numbers go up? With Zach Clements, you do have, like, serious high potential of a guy who could eventually be, like, this all-Big 12 player in his high usage, three-point shooter, yep. getting rebounds, doing a bunch for you inside. But I think when you look at this year... You kind of look at it being wing-based, like Jalen Wilson will be option one, Kevin McCuller, Grady Dick, MJ Rice, like those guys could be higher options up there. You don't know who's going to really win out on the center rotation, how much one guy is going to split over the rest. That I think I'll go Devin Neal for now, but I think the, the, the ceiling might be higher for what Zach Clements could eventually be if you're basing it on the numbers that Devin Neal has right now and just prorating them out. I also think it's it's... Something where if the the carries do go up, like Devin Neal could very easily rush for a thousand yards this year. Yes, and then if we're talking about a thousand yard rusher, I don't know what the comparison is there for basketball because again, this is so incongruent with different sports. <laughs> but the comparison there might be if you're a fourteen points a game. Well, if like Devin Neal runs for a thousand yards, I don't know if he's going to make the All Big Twelve second team. It'd be close. He might. Like would Zach Clements make the All Big Twelve second team? Yeah, Probably well, not. The, well, the issue you run into with Devin Neal is in terms of Big 12, is there's a lot of good running backs yeah. in Big 12. I think they put two on each team, so theoretically okay, you'd possible. have to be a top four. That's possible. Bijan Robinson, Deuce, Deuce Vaughn, Vaughn. You know, Baylor always has a good back in there. So uh, I, I'll lean Devin Neal, but this wouldn't be crazy, I think, either way. That is our KU Mailbag for the week. If you have uh, any questions you want to ask for next week, hit us up on our social media pages. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson right here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs> Looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Talking some college football, some uh, fun games on tonight, and obviously continuing through the course of the weekend. We got some fun belt tonight, Coastal Carolina. Fun belt. There we go. Best conference in college football. I became convinced earlier in the week that Syracuse was playing tonight. But okay. it turns out they're playing tomorrow night. Oh. And I was not aware of that. Playing uh, Virginia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Give me the who's. Upset, baby. You think so? 
I don't know. Virginia's not been very good, but I love their quarterback, so I'm rolling with it, <laughs> even though it's probably not smart. Uh, the fact that Oregon blew out BYU last week, I mean, first of all, just heartbreaking for me. I, I thought I was on to something with BYU yeah, after that. You the, were really high win. on BYU. I know. And then the, it's like if they would have lost close, they still could have survived that. You know, if they, they might not have made the playoff, but they at least could have gotten in the discussion if some yeah, of the teams on their schedule worked out yeah, and they were 11 and 1. They're done now. Yeah, with with being blown out, especially the way that Georgia just tossed Oregon aside, which makes what Oregon or or what Georgia did in that game even more ridiculous to know that, like, no, Oregon's, like, not bad. Like, Oregon is actually a legit, like, top 20 team, and Georgia just played them like they're a high school team. Uh, Verbal meme of the guy looking at the other girl, so he's got the, he's holding the girl's hand as he's walked down, but he turns around and looks at the other girl. The girl he's holding hands with is the 2001 Miami running back group. The girl that he's looking back at is the 2022 Georgia tight end group. It's It's got, like, legit, like, four pros in it. It's insane. The, the tight end group for Georgia is is crazy. And I was just thinking about this. The Nick Saban coaching tree, What's his, you know, it's all, it, it was always touted that his record was, like, 9,000-0 mm-hmm. against his former assistant's certified fact, by the way. Mm. Uh, but then now he's, all of a sudden, he's 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 grown Kirby smart. Mm-hmm. Here's Kirby Smart, who seems like he has maybe overtaken. Is has Georgia overtaken Bama? It seems like as it. like the program. Well, maybe this is the key. Like Kirby Smart, most of the assistants that come through Alabama, it's like they're there for like two or three years, and then they get a job somewhere, right? Kirby Smart was there forever. He yeah. was there for like what 10, 12, 15 years, something there for like a that. While. Yeah, he. I mean, he was there like the entire tenure of Nick Saban, and for so long, it was like, why is this guy not getting a, a head coaching job somewhere else? But did Nick Saban miss his opportunity to go out into the sunset on top? And now he's uh, now he's going to be now he's going to have to retire whenever he retires as being second fiddle to Kirby Smart in Georgia. Mm. Did Nick Saban miss his chance? Maybe that's what he's coaching for at this point. He's like, you know, I've already surpassed Bear Bryant. I'm already known as, like, the greatest coach in in college history. Um, I just need to make sure I outlive this Georgia thing. Because I can't can't go out with them being the best program, and then they forget about me. And they're like, oh, it was Kirby Smart the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Is the Pac-12 back from being dead? We declared them dead after week one, (laughs) but you had the Oregon big win over BYU. Washington... I know the score only ended up being like 11 or 12 points, but they got up huge in that game. They kind of dominated Michigan State early before the Spartans started to come back. USC's offense looks pretty unstoppable. That that was such a bummer, by the way. That game was like setting up to be what I hoped for with like this back-and-forth shootout. It was 21-10. to 10. Fresno State was around midfield driving, and then Fresno State's stud quarterback, Jake Hayner, goes down with like a really bad injury, and then USC just kind of blew him out from there. Uh, but that USC offense looks pretty unstoppable. I still have questions about the defense. Yeah. Oregon State and Washington State are both, I mean, probably one win away from making the top 25, especially because they, in both their cases, Oregon State plays USC and Washington State plays Oregon this week. And then Utah is still like a good team despite the Florida loss. So, like, is the Pac-12 actually back? They, they could be. They could be. I mentioned this. Washington State is the only team to start 3-0 and with a road top 20 victory to not receive a single vote in the poll. So they're still so they're people are still sleeping on Washington State specifically. And I know you like Oregon State a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know that a lot of people rest around the country are thinking, "Oh, Oregon State, oh, no, better watch no, no. out." They're not sexy so they're, at all. They're definitely So when you look at Oregon State and Washington State, those are two what appear to be pretty good programs that are kind of under the radar, right? Washington 
like you said, looked very good against Michigan State, which, by the way, I guess Michigan State sucks now. I don't know. <laughs> I, I picked them to win the Big 12 or win the Big, win the Big 10, and I guess they're just bad. I don't know. And then, obviously, the, the Oregon thing. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of got the sense that Oregon was going to be fine after the loss to Georgia, whatever fine meant, you know, 9-3, and three, whatever, right? And so that seems to be the case. They're going to be they're going to be fine. And then you have USC. So suddenly the Pac-12 does appear on the surface to be a lot more interesting than maybe we originally thought, which is I guess pretty exciting. And then of course you have Utah who is they're just going to blow up their they're just going to blow up Utah every time they lose. They're just going to nuke it. That which that Utah student she's just going to every time Utah loses she's just going to detonate the nuclear reactor. Yeah, what if this starts to trend like everyone starts saying that like by the way she got caught on that on yik yak i didn't even know that was still a thing okay so yik yak was a thing like what 10 years ago yeah even longer yeah and then it was not a thing and then it randomly like kind of came back like a couple years ago i don't know why or how but it was randomly like kind of back for a little bit but then i thought it was gone again but evidently not gone enough to where they're still monitoring it for people threatening to detonate nuclear reactors yeah i had no idea it was back i remember that was like a big thing my like freshman year of college um, yes but then okay and then, and then, then it was like, gone yeah but then like i think during the, yik, the, pandemic, the yak came to ku once and was like giving away free socks or something really yeah <laughs> but then like i think it was like during the pandemic it kind of it actually did kind of come back a little bit and then it was gone again i thought until this utah student made it come back which by the way hopefully she doesn't i mean she i mean she legitimately got arrested and is like oh yeah she's gonna go to jail for like a I wouldn't say like. That, I don't know. Is that fair? Yes, you can't threaten to blow people up. <laughs> what do you mean? Is that fair? Again, this I think this is great. We need more passionate football fans around the country. We're, we have a lack of passion. This 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 woman is showing. You think she passion. should be like praised. She shouldn't be praised, but she shouldn't have to go to jail. Well, what do you mean? You can't just go around Dude, just like somebody threatening was recording, to blow stuff up. If somebody was recording the things that I say or do during Chiefs games, but she literally, I would be in jail. She did this on her own accord. She posted on a place. <laughs> she went out of her own way to say, "I'm going to blow this." And, and it, are you saying at Chiefs games? What are you sitting there saying? Are you saying I'm going to blow up a nuclear reactor? Just, that seems I'm oddly just, specific. If I'm just mad, I'm just saying whatever. I'm going to go. I don't know. I'm going to. I'm just mad. Yeah, but you're not saying I'm gonna go blow up that specific nuclear reactor at the University of Well like that's I mean no, you know, you if, if they're playing at Denver, I would say, Well, I'm gonna go to Denver and I don't know. Be careful here. You can get yourself in trouble. My goodness. I'm not gonna blow up a nuclear reactor though. Thank you. First of all, okay, seriously, mm-hmm. if if you went to a nuclear reactor, okay. would you know how to blow it up? Like, would you know no. what to do? I have no idea. <laughs> exactly. I have no idea. Exactly. That's yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's what the that's what the uh, attorney defending her should be like. But exactly. They should be like, listen. Do you think this this woman who cares so deeply for Utah football would even know what to do to make it to make it go boom to make it blow up? Full proof. I wouldn't. If somebody took me to nuclear reactor right now and said, "Make this thing explode," what would I do? I don't know. I mean, I just press some buttons until hopefully something happens. Yeah, you hope you kind of MacGruber it. <laughs> no, I think the Pac-12 is back, though. I do so? sort of get to a certain extent what you're talking about, though, with the passion, though, because that 
That typically doesn't happen in Pac. Like that is that's an SEC move. That's an SEC it, it fan. It move, really right? is. No, it re- it really is. So I guess I guess SEC fan. You want to spin it into a positive? You know, Auburn fans are going to drive to Tuscaloosa and yeah, exactly. And blow Poison them up. the tree, yep. right? Yep. Like that happens. Put some chloride in the team water. That's the yep. version of that. Except it's weird because that's an example of like doing it to your rival. The Utah fan was like, "I'm doing it to ourselves." She <laughs> well, <laughs> was just, just going to be so crushed and disappointed if they lost that she just needed to. I don't know. By the way, I've been to Utah's campus. It's it's very beautiful. It's, it's, it's a great. Yeah. It's a good place. Uh, well, by the way, wanna, I wouldn't want it to blow up. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, <laughs> if we're rooting for College Game Day to come to Lawrence this next Saturday, okay. Obviously, KU has to beat Duke. I've I've kind of mapped out what we need here. All right, I like you it. need Iowa State to beat Baylor. If Iowa State beats yep. Baylor, they'll be ranked. If KU beats Duke, they'll be four zero. Yeah, if KU like smokes Duke, but Iowa State loses to Baylor, I still think there's probably no chance. Yes, I would agree with that. You you definitely need Iowa State to to have their part of the story here. So that's as number well. one on the priority list. Yes. Do we need? I I don't know. I put this on a question because I wasn't sure. Do we need Florida Tennessee? Whoever wins to be a blowout to make ESPN feel more like they messed up the call this uh, week to go there. I I don't think so. I don't think I don't think the outcome of the Tennessee Florida game would really impact their decision this week that much. I mean. Like, like I said, I think I think what would impact their decision would be if KU does just blow out Duke. Then they'd be like, oh, KU's legit. Like, we should have gone there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or, or or I guess it would be more of a sense of KU's legit. We need to go there now. You know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense. I don't I don't I don't think the, the outcome of the Florida Tennessee game would sway them one way or the other to decide to come to KU or not to come to KU. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. So here's here's the big games that are going on in in week five. Okay, you have number eighteen Washington at UCLA. UCLA is undefeated, so I, UCLA hasn't okay. looked that good. They just here's, barely beat South Alabama. I'm listen. I understand that you put it on here, but mm-hmm. this is crap. They're not going to UCLA. Are you kidding me? UCLA has ten. That's fans. a good point. They have ten. Fans I didn't really consider that. I was uh, just thinking their, about their the game. stadium. I was just thinking okay. about the game because you they're have not a, going to UCLA. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right because of the fan base. I, I was just thinking for a second, like, oh, UCLA, if they win this week, they're 4-0, Washington's 4-0, maybe it's matter. a ranked There's matchup. No, they don't have any fans. But you're 100% right. Uh, the lack of fans that have been at any of the games, yeah, that can't be on there. So I think we're good there. So don't have to worry about that. They, they don't have any fans. All right, this one's a little worrisome. Number two, Alabama at number 10, Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, Arkansas plays A&M this week, so I guess you're rooting for A&M to make it less of a game. I don't. Who does Bama play? I don't know, but Some, they're going to win. Somebody they're going to beat. <laughs> <laughs> somebody they're going to beat. Oh, they have Vanderbilt. Okay. So it won't hey, even Vanderbilt, be close, right? Vanderbilt, they're, they're kind of nice. Are they? Hey, their coach says they're going to be the number one team in the country. And they're undefeated right now. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, even if I mean, if Arkansas beats A&M, do you think it's a guarantee they're going there? Um... No, I'm I'm trying to find right now. Okay, the game's on CBS. That Arkansas Alabama game is on CBS, so that has to okay. help. Again, they've gone to game days before where it's on Fox or FS1 or yeah. CBS, right? Yeah. It doesn't stop them, but I'm sure internally they're like, if all we things are all equal, publicity. exactly. Okay. Yeah. So maybe that's the ploy there. Arkansas loses to A and M, and then it's on CBS. Uh, Michigan at Iowa. I- Iowa could potentially be ranked next week if they win again, but also. There's a rumor going around that Michigan is going to host game day against Penn State the following weeks. I don't think oh, they okay. do back-to-back Michigan games. And no. also, even then, do you really want to do game day with an Iowa team that can't no, score? You don't want to go to yeah. You don't want to go to game day in Iowa. No. 
I mean, who wants to watch a six to three game? Number twelve, NC State at number five, Clemson. That's a, uh, that's, that's a tough. tough one. That's a tough one. I wish but they would have gone to Clemson again, Wake Forest this but, week, so that would be eliminated. But Clemson uh, again, I think the angle you could take here is, is Clemson is they're not that exciting of a team. There's not really any big storylines around them, right? Like the the what KU has going for them the most is that game day, especially in the past couple of years, has shifted more to and shifted more to a a mentality of not necessarily going to the biggest game every week, but like the most fascinating storylines, right? Like they went to App State, they went to James Madison last year, they've went to other smaller games when there was other big games, right? So that that is the positive for for KU, because when you look at Clemson, NC State, I mean, what's the What's the storyline angle there? They're just it's Clemson. Cool. It's I guess it's NC State trying to unseat uh, even though Clemson didn't win the ACC last year, like kind of unseat the prohibitive favorite in the conference. So I guess you need Wake Forest like they might not go to that regardless, but it's going to be tough. Like if both teams are ranked in the top 10, it, it makes it tough to to choose that one. Um but if Wake Forest beats Clemson this week, that would be helpful. Also, though, that would not be helpful in a certain sense because Wake Forest plays at Florida State, and you can tell to that storyline mode, if Wake Forest beats Clemson, they'll be ranked in the top 15. You'll have a top 15 team going on the road against Florida State who's like kind of had this resurrected start, and they would eat that up. I'll say it. This is a Next week is a bad week for trying to get game day. I know it is. There's a lot of good (laughs) opportunities. Here's one. Number nine, Oklahoma State at number 17, Baylor. But as part of ours, if Iowa State beats Baylor, that helps eliminate that one. Yeah. Oregon State at number thirteen, Utah. If Oregon State upsets USC this week, yeah, but game day they don't they don't go to West Coast teams very often. They really don't. I mean they they went to they went to Washington State, but that was just because of the yeah. But now you have the nuclear reactor Lord story. Oh, okay. You can go out there, Tom okay. Rinaldi, who he's not even with ESPN anymore, but can do a, <laughs> a story, a, a, you know, a hit, uh, a piece that makes you you cry about the lady about who the passion. Yeah, exactly. Where's the passion? <laughs> Uh, and then the last one. This is this is a little worrisome because neither of these teams is going to lose okay, but this didn't week. Didn't they just go to Ole Miss? Did they? I thought they did. Maybe number they, eight Kentucky at number sixteen Ole Miss. That's a good one, honestly. They that played, might be the best one. Yeah, and Ole Miss is like a great tailgating scene. Yeah, that I could see them going to that. They both play Northern Iowa and Tulsa this week, respectively. So they're probably both going to win. It's tough. It, it's going to be tough to get it next week. Yeah, but you need if you get I, some things that go your way. It's I am not becoming impossible. increasingly convinced that KU Texas is 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 the game for game day. My only problem is that's a November game, and I, I don't know. I, I'd have to look ahead in the schedule. I feel like that'll be a week that it's like Alabama LSU or like one of those games they always go to. But if KU's like six and three or seven and two, and Texas is also six and three or seven and two, there you got again. If we're talking storylines, Texas hasn't beat KU in four years. <laughs> this is the greatest storyline in, in college football right now. Uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout. More after this on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Got a special guest joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That would be one Jim Root. We had Jim on the past two seasons, kind of before the season, to help us preview the college basketball season. And Jim, who works with Three Man Weave, which is awesome college basketball podcast, also working with the field of 68 to help develop the Almanac, which is going to be, you know, we always see it in football season, especially you have Phil Steele magazine and Athlon Sports and, and all these different great magazines that preview the college football season. And, and there are some that do college basketball as well, but I'm really excited because the Almanac is coming out 
I believe it's next week, the 26th. Uh, I lose track of dates all the time, but yeah, that'll be next week. So uh, looking forward to that. It's going to be an awesome preview of college basketball, including the team right here in Lawrence. So we're going to talk about basketball preview with Jim right now. And, and we'll start right here locally with KU. I keep harping on the idea that this team could be really good. They could be really talented. They have all these new players coming in that clearly have a lot of talent, whether it's freshmen or transfers coming in. You do have a couple returners. Jalen Wilson could be a Big 12 Player of the Year candidate. But I keep falling back to this stat that no defending champion since Florida, which I don't even know if that should count because that Florida team brought back like their entire starting lineup. Like That just never happens anymore from a team that won the title has even made it past the Sweet 16. Everybody else has lost in the Sweet 16, second round or something like that. So uh, I, I guess how plausible do you think a scenario of making another Final Four, of of you know competing for another national championship, of even making the Elite Eight, which we haven't seen any of the defending champs do in the last 15 years, do you give Kansas a shot at this year? I, I think it's plausible simply because it's a tradition of excellence at Kansas, like Bill Self year after year, the team is highly competitive, usually right up there in the big 12, almost wins the big 12 seemingly every year. And this year it's a wider range of outcomes because of basically everything you mentioned, only one real uh, super consistent offensive contributor back with Wilson. Obviously Harris is one of the best on ball defenders in the country, a great distributor, but there's a lot of production to figure out. There's pecking orders to sort out. So I, I think it, maybe they won't be projected to be a Final Four team, but they can get there. And the tournament is, is, is such a up-and-down, a little bit of a luck-based event, which I think is part of why there hasn't been teams that win it back-to-back -back because they're just, it, it's, it's all about these little breaks that happen in every single game. Uh, and sometimes you don't get those in back-to-back -back years. So I, I think Kansas is going to be right there competing to do that. Uh, it's just tough to predict it because there is so many, so much variability with both the roster and the NCAA tournament itself. Yeah. So, like when you when you look at it just from a what you think this team's biggest strength could be, and then what maybe would be the biggest concern that you don't know if they have quite enough of that right now. What would that be? I like the perimeter a lot. Uh, I, I think Harris and McCuller are going to be fantastic. Both those guys can create for others. They can create for themselves. Harris, I, I would imagine, emerges a little bit more confident offensively. That kind of seems to be the trajectory of Bill self guards. They, they just really gain confidence as they go along in their career. And then Wilson and Dick give, give a lot of versatility. Uh, the one through four spots, maybe this looks a little bit like uh, some of the teams that played C at the four and were really well-spaced. But the weakness then comes in the paint. There isn't a David McCormick-type presence here. It, it seems like there's going to be a bit of a rotating cast of characters in there with Clements and Uday uh, and maybe even a lot of K.J. Adams at the five, trying to figure out just what that rotation looks like and can you get the rebounding and the interior scoring and the post-defense from one guy or do you need to really kind of go specialized lineups? I think McCormick, you know, had, had some ups and downs his career, but he finished on such a high note and it's going to be tough to recreate that kind of production from just one guy, given the uncertainty at that position right now. What do you think about the team shooting? Because it's, it's kind of weird when you think about a team that could play four out, you know, clearly you would just think, Oh, they'll have good shooting and everything. And then you have Zach Clements at the center who, 
is kind of known for his shooting stroke. Obviously kind of fell off at the end of last year, and the shooting percentage didn't look great, but small sample size and everything. And then Grady Dick is known as, I don't know, maybe the best shooter coming out of the high school class. And and clearly there are some guys who can hit shots, but you also still have questions with, okay, Jalen Wilson was inconsistent there. Same with Kevin McCuller. Dewan Harris has never been a high-volume three-point guy or someone who's going to take him off the catch or off the move. Do you think they have enough to, to be good enough from the three-point line? Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be weird. Like almost inverting the floor, where sometimes your best shooters are in the front court. I don't know how much Cam Martin is gonna play, but I think he's kind of known as a as a shooter up front as well. And so maybe your best shooters are Dick and Clements and Martin, and they're pulling out the big men and opening the driving lanes, and that's where Harrison McCuller and, and even Wilson can attack. I think Jalen Wilson's a better shooter than he showed last year, so I would anticipate him bumping back up into the thirties. Uh, but it, it is, you know, admittedly somewhat of a concern because if you want to play that kind of spaced out style and, and spread defenses and get into those driving gaps, you need to give them a reason to come out to the perimeter. Otherwise, they're, they're going to be content for you to launch over the top and, and try to chase defensive rebounds. But I think they'll get there. Um, it, Self does a great job of empowering players to, to be confident from that range and It'll take some internal development. Uh, it, like you said, it's not going to be automatic. There isn't this laundry list of elite 40% shooters like sometimes there's been in the past. But I would imagine they'll get there. And if, if they don't, Self has been consistent in, in identifying ways to play to the strengths of his roster. He's not the kind of coach that I only play one way and my team needs to figure it out. He, he's very flexible, and I think that's what's made him so successful over the years is that he can win with two bigs, or he can win with uh, a couple small guards. He can win with a lot of shooting or not as much shooting. So I, I think he will figure it out. It just may be a feeling out process early in the season as these guys get into a new role with a new roster. So don't expect the A-plus version of Kansas right away, but I think it will show up as the season goes. Zooming out to the rest of the Big 12, Baylor's going to be really good. TCU brings all these players back. Texas has a ton of talent. How, how would you tear out? I guess the top, I'll make you do the whole conference, but uh, at least the top two tiers in the league this year. Yeah, I would go Baylor and Kansas alone in a tier themselves. Uh, I think they're the top two. I love Baylor's backcourt. Uh, I know there's some injury questions there, but it sounds like everybody's getting healthy. Langston Love was just cleared this week uh, coming off uh, an ACL tear, the former four-star freshman from Montverde. Sounds like LJ Cryer and Flagler will be good to go. Keontae George is going to be uh, one of the best freshmen in the country. So I think their backcourt's going to be terrific. And that's really what I usually gravitate towards when I'm, when I'm ranking a lot of teams. So like Baylor and Kansas, they're the ones that I think they're in the mix most for the title. And then behind them, it's, it's the Texas schools, uh, all three of them, Texas, TCU, Texas Tech, in whatever order you want to put them in, I'm sure. Texas Tech fans would, would have my head for listing them after Texas there, but uh, I think they'll all be really strong defensively. There's lots of shooting questions on those squads as well, so it's not just Kansas that has uh, that issue to sort out as the season goes. And then you could maybe put Oklahoma State up there. Uh, I think their defense is going to rock, but they're going to have a lot of offensive questions. They just had Russell Harrison, a Four stretching forward that was hopefully going to help their spacing. He got declared ineligible by the NCAA. So that's going to hurt their offense a little bit. And you just kind of go down the line, and those, those teams after the Texas schools, I think, have a little bit more question marks than the top five, as I see it. So Baylor, Kansas, top two, and then the Texas TCU, Texas Tech uh, as the next three. 
We've seen a, a Big 12 team in the Final Four. I think it's four straight tournaments now, and who knows, maybe it would have been five of 2020 because Baylor was really good. Obviously, Kansas was had a good team then. Um, so if, if you had to take the over-under of .5 Big 12 teams making the Final Four this year, would you take that? Over, yes, definitely. I, I, I just I like the styles that the Big 12 plays. I think it actually helps them in the tournament. I've been trying to figure out a way to – research slash write this up with the lack of success that a conference like the big 10 has had in the tournament, whereas big 12 has been relatively successful, even just like overperformance of seed and always sending a team deep into the postseason. I think having strong backcourts is a big part of that. And Baylor and Kansas are, are pretty loaded in that department. So I, I think it is most likely that one of those teams makes it. Uh, and even if it's not one of the top two, I think any of those Texas TCU, Texas Tech can make a run and, you know, the Final Four is in Houston. So there's going to be that added little motivation of, hey, we can play in our home state. So I would take the over. I think the Big 12 will perform very well in the postseason again. Just from like a general idea of how, how you value college basketball teams, like is there, you know, we always hear the cliche of in March, like guards win in March, right? Um, is there a position that, that maybe you value the most in terms of, what you think kind of fuels the winning, whether it's guards, wings, big men, or whatever it is? Yeah, I want a team that can score without needing to feed a big man. So, like, whether it's your point guard or a wing, I I want a team that has their go-to guy that can get a bucket for himself on the perimeter. I think that's part of why the Big Ten has struggled, because a lot of their best players, you go down the line, Luca Garza, Trace Jackson Davis, Zach Eady and, and, and Trayvon Williams for Purdue, I think some of those teams have struggled a little bit because it's easier to take away a big man. You can scheme out a big man because you can double, you can deny the post. It, it, it's just tougher to play through those guys consistently against a very well-scouted defense. So you need that kind of dynamic talent on the perimeter, and I think that's why Baylor was so dominant in the 2021 tournament because they had three guys that could do it. Uh, and then Kansas last year with Agbaji and Brown and, and even Remy Martin, especially in the final, the way he lit it up. Uh, it, you need those guys that can kind of just get tough shots, make tough shots, and not need to, you know, get them the ball on the block where the defense can really focus and take them away. So I'm, I'm looking for scores on the perimeter guys that can really make a difference with the ball in their hands. We're talking with Jim Root, Three Man Weave, and the Almanac. Almanac, excuse me. You're not going to want to miss out on that. It's going to be the college basketball preview. Uh, so I, I, I want to do some national stuff here. I've got some fun award predictions for you to give out here. The, these aren't actual awards, at least most of them. Uh, we'll start with this one. Which of these coaches who has never made the Final Four, Sean Miller, Jamie Dixon, Greg McDermott, Matt Painter, and Leonard Hamilton, which of those, and I can repeat them if you need me to, do you think has the best chance to make the Final Four this year? I think I probably have to say McDermott, uh, just because the, the hype Creighton is getting. I have been a little bit cool to the top five, top eight Creighton hype. I have them more in the 11 to 15 range, but they are certainly uh, trending way up, and a lot of those coaches have solid teams this year. I, I really like the TCU team that thrives defensively and dominates the offensive glass. They're a little bit Houston adjacent in the way they play. And obviously Houston's made a final four in recent years. Um, but I, I like the way Florida state's shaping up this year, as long as they're healthier. So Leonard Hamilton's got a chance. 
Um, and then Sean Miller, I really like that savior team. I think it, it's a big upgrade at the coaching spot, and, they, and, and Travis Steele did leave a lot of talent behind that just won the NAT. But if I have to give one answer and one answer only, I will say McDermott because of that young, blossoming sophomore class and then uh, Baylor Shireman coming over from South Dakota State. All right, which coach who has never made the Sweet 16 of these coaches? Dan Hurley, Brad Underwood, Fran McCaffrey has the best chance at it this year. Oh, man. I can't believe Brad Underwood hasn't made a Sweet 16. That just mm-hmm. kind of blew my mind right there. <laughs> um, I will go wait, – wait, wait, can you repeat him again? I'm sorry. Yeah, of course. Dan Hurley, Brad Underwood, and Fran McCaffrey. I will say Dan Hurley. Um, I, I think that team has the tools to be a quality postseason team. They're, they're versatile defensively. Uh, Andre Jackson is kind of like the skeleton key that unlocks a whole bunch of switchability. They have the kind of shaky status of maybe their best player is an interior postman, which I think is tough and has impacted Brad Underwood's teams when they were trying to play through Coburn. Uh, but I, I, I like Jordan Hawkins as a breakout star for UConn. And I think some of the backcourt pieces they brought in from East Carolina and Virginia Tech, a couple of transfers, will bolster them, and, and I'll give Hurley the edge in, in that group. Okay, I might be missing someone here, but I think of the active coaches with one national title win. Who has the best chance at number two this year? Rick Pitino, which I can't imagine you pick that one with Iona. Uh, Jim Beheim, again, can't imagine that's going to be the pick. Uh, Tom Izzo, Scott Drew, or John Calipari? I have a feeling it's going to be one of the last two. Yeah, it's between the last two for me. I will go with uh, Scott Drew just because I like the structure of that team more for the postseason. I think they've got four guards that can score, make plays for themselves, maybe not quite on the level of the 21 triumvirate they had in the backcourt that just was, you know, wrecking worlds. Uh, but the Kentucky team that's, that's based around Oscar Shibway is still a little front court heavy. Uh, I, I think the perimeter can be productive, but they also have some shooting questions without Kellen Grady there anymore. Severe Wheeler's not a, a three-point shooter at the point guard spot. So I would give a nod to Baylor. Uh, they're my number two team heading into the season. I, I think they're really ready to make a run. You can take this one wherever you want to go. You can take it based on who has the biggest impact on a team winning. You can take it based on who just puts up the best stats. I don't know. The best transfer fit of the year for 2022-23 is who? Ooh, man, there's so many to pick from. Um, let me try to cycle through a couple yeah good luck going through the the hundreds of of transfer portal players on this yeah, right i have a listing and in a in a spreadsheet here i'm trying to pull up that will at least give me a, a guide to it um kendrick davis is probably the best player that changed teams in my opinion the point guard went from smu to memphis he's the reigning american player of the year there but if i had to go with a transfer that fits the style um, I will say Pete Nance for North Carolina. I'm not, he's not my favorite player. Like, I don't think he's one of the top five or 10 players that change teams, but he slots into that UNC starting lineup as the four man kind of takes over for Brady Manick and everybody else is back from that starting group. And he, he's not the same player as Manick. He's not going to shoot seven threes a game at 40%, but he can hit a shot if he's open and he's a really versatile defender. He's got length. He can block shots. And he's a great passer. I think that's going to really be the trait that shows up uh, playing with that team. He can 
kind of run things at the free throw line and set up things for, for Love or Davis, maybe some triple handoff situations. And then he can feed Armando Baycott in high-low. I know Kansas fans have seen a lot of high-low over the years with the big men. I think Nance will be a perfect tool for that. So his fit in, the, in that lineup for a possible national title contender, I'll, I'll say he's the, the number one transfer there. Who wins the uh, – and I'll have you pick someone on, I don't know, a top 25 team. The Antoine Davis most likely to shoot everything shot of the year. Ooh, I w- there, there's a couple guys further down the line, but I'll, I'll go to my alma mater and the, uh, the enemy of Kansas fans everywhere, Isaiah Mosley, heading from Missouri State to Missouri. Mm-hmm. He is a lethal scorer. I mean, the, the percentages have been well documented. I think he's the only – one of the only 50, 40, 90 guys in the entire country last year, one of only 20 players who averaged 20 points a game. But he's going to a team that really needs scoring. And Missouri was a poor offensive team the past few years, and maybe they're not quite a top 25 squad, so I'm stretching the, the definition of the answer here. But uh, I think he's going to be able to shoot whenever and from wherever he wants because the team needs, needs scoring, and he can, he can do it. It's just uh, are they going to hold up defensively? That's, that's going to be the question mark. Yeah, that'll definitely make the matchup pretty interesting, too, with the ties between him and Dewan Harris going to the same high school and playing on the same AAU team as Christian Brown and Ochag Baji and whatnot. Um, I, I feel like David Roddy would have been the answer for this last year. I, I don't know. Best old man's YMCA game in college basketball this year, and I, I don't mean to you know bring up bad memories here with, with your alien injury, but uh, who would that be? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for the listeners, I am, I'm two weeks out from an ACL reconstruction because my old man body and game failed me, so unfortunately, <laughs> I'm dealing with that. Uh, but yeah, no, Roddy's a Roddy'd be a great answer. Um, oh, this one's tough. I'm not sure I have an awesome answer as far as somebody that's like kind of undersized. Like Jalen Brunson was a good answer. Uh, there was a, a player at Temple that I always said had a YMCA game. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep thinking about that if you have other questions. Yeah. I'll, I'll try to loop back to it if that works. Let's do it. Uh, most exciting player on a really good team. So it doesn't have necessarily have to be like an All-American, just exciting player for whatever reason. Okay, so we're thinking some sort of great athlete, dunker, or, or even a shooter. Um, Nigel Pack for, for Miami's fun because he just has unlimited range. He, he's almost... Steph Curry-esque in that, in that uh, ability where he can shoot from anywhere, 45% three-point shooter. Terquavian Smith for NC State, similar to that. I'm not thinking of a great dunker. Um, yeah, I'll go, with, I'll go with Pack just because of the unlimited shooting. And it. it's almost like that's, that's taken over the, uh, the highlights are, are more shooting than they are dunking these days. I think people are more mesmerized by that. So Nigel Pack of, of Miami, Florida. One of my favorite things that we can do in college basketball, uh, but doesn't really happen in other sports, like in the NFL, it's like, oh, the quarterback's the best player. In the NBA, it's like, yeah, clearly LeBron's the best player. Uh, We do this with some of the best teams. It happens a lot to where you get like a guy on the team who's maybe the most college productive player, but maybe for just whatever, athletic reasons or NBA reasons or, or something, you can maybe get some sect of people who are arguing that no but that guy's actually the best player on the team so like I think of you know uh with Tyler Hansborough you had Ty Lawson you could have made that argument or I I remember I was I was part of the argument of no Mikhail Bridges is the best player on the team even though Jalen Brunson's the most important um you you have I don't know you, you can go with 
so many different players, like uh, the Baylor year, where you could say Jared Butler was the best, but no, it's Davion Mitchell. So uh, is there a team, is there a duo of players this year who you think has the best chance of that happening, where one of the players is like National Player of the Year candidate, but we're sitting there going, ah, but I don't know, it could be the other guy who's the best player. I I almost want to go Houston here, um, because I think Marcus Sasser is going to get all the headlines as the the shooting star is much more offensive-leaning in his game in the backcourt for Houston. But I think Jamal Shedd, their point guard, is kind of the the tone setter. This one's almost reflective of that Baylor team you were talking about, where Mitchell's defense and distrib- distribution was kind of what, what people would lean on and say, actually, I think he might be the best player. And Shed's like that. He's a bulldog on the ball. He's going to play physical. He knows when to push the tempo when he has it offensively. He'll guard 94 feet defensively. He won't average as many points as Sasser, and I think Sasser might be in the, the National Player of the Year conversation. But I think there, there might be some people, a subset, that say, well, Shed's their most important because of the way he, he grinds defensively and sets the tone. So I'll go with, the, with Houston there. Any dark horse Final Four or National Player of the Year picks? I really like Florida this year. Um, they, they've got a new coach coming in from San Francisco that did a great job there, got, got them their first at-large bid since like 1998 or something. Uh, they, they've, uh, his name's Todd Golden, and they brought in a lot of transfers that I think fit pretty well. They're going to be really, really stout defensively. Uh, so Florida's a team I'm high on, have them up around the top 15. I think Xavier is another one that if Sean Miller really unlocks what they've got, uh, the, the players that brought that, that came back, I think they could be a contender. And then it, right in that same vein, another team in the Big East that changed coaches, I think Thad Mata's Butler Bulldogs could be a really surprisingly potent team. They've got a bunch of shot blocking and, and brought in some steady winners from uh, the transfer portal that could help. So those, those would be Dark Horse Final Four. And National Player of the Year, I, I kind of showed my hand a little with Sasser from, from Houston, and maybe he's not too much of a dark horse, but uh, and then Matt Bradley from San Diego State, I think the Aztecs could be a Dark Horse Final Four team, which would make him probably a Dark Horse uh, National Player of the Year candidate just because he could average 19 a game for a team that gets into the top 10. Uh, they're most known for their defense, but if he is the dominant offensive force, maybe he sneaks into that conversation. Um, I think that's it. I, I could probably dig out another name or two, but those would be almost too, too long a shot to even consider. So I, I'll go with those. Sports betting is now legal here in the state of Kansas. Do you have any favorite picks to win the title? Any uh, good odds bets uh, for that scope of things? Yeah, it would probably be some of those those teams I mentioned in terms of value. Um, the Florida, Xavier, San Diego State, I think all have pretty decent prices right now. I think Houston's the best team in the country. Um, so if they're not priced all the way up at eight to one or whatever, I, I think they're a great bet. Just both terms of having a great backcourt that can score in that tournament setting. And then the defense is it, it never goes anywhere for those guys. So Houston, I think could be worth a look. And then I know the mountain West hasn't succeeded, but I think San Diego state sets up to have, have quite a run. They're another team like, like Kansas that laments the cancellation of that 2020 tournament. Cause I think they had a chance to really make a run and prove that, Mountain West can actually win in the postseason and in March. Jim, I appreciate the time, and uh, I guess 
obviously right now with the almanac not out quite yet you guys are running uh, the pre-order purchase special where you can get a little bit discount so uh where can everybody get it where can everybody get kind of the discount and everything like that yeah um it, our three man leave twitter handle is at three mw underscore cbb we'll be tweeting that out uh, the link all the way through the the release on on monday and the the pre-order code is hoops all caps hoops uh that gets you 20 percent off four dollars so instead of 20 which will be after it's released uh, the pre-sale promo gets you down to 16 dollars and it's all digital so unfortunately we didn't, we're, we're not doing a print version this year because it's the first season and we're trying to gauge demand and that kind of thing but it will be two sp- a two-page spread for every single team 1300 words so you can read about Kansas, you can read about every single non-conference matchup they have, no matter the conference, big or small. We'll have an extensive scouting report for each team. Uh, and, and again, I, we, we're really proud of it. It's been a lot of work. We think it looks great visually, uh, which, which maybe some of the other ones have, because they're forcing a print deadline, they're not able to spend as much time on that. Uh, we're, we're proud of that aspect. So, yeah, get that, get that uh, promo code, 20% off using HOOPS. And we'll, we'll have the link tweeted out all over the place. And it's also on our website, 3-man-weave.com. So anybody who wants to find it, it's out there. And, and we think it'll be a great product. Hopefully once it comes out, people will, will enjoy it. Yeah, like I said, we have all these preseason college football magazines. This is the one you got to get for college basketball. Again, not a magazine. I, I think I keep overstepping there. But, yeah, the PDF, you're not going to want to miss out because it's going to have the best information you can for the start of the college basketball season. Jim, once again, appreciate the time as always, man. Yeah, thank you for having me, Dustin. I, I owe you an answer on the uh, the old. Oh, that's right, game, that's I'll, right. <laughs> I I don't know if I have a great one. I'm I'm I gotta confess there. It's probably one of the big the big men in in the Big Ten. Those groundbound guys, maybe Hunter Dickinson. Although all seven one guys are going to dominate at the YMCA. So that's a that's a shaky answer, but that's that's my weak answer. I'll give just to uh, make sure I, I am a completist here. Well, Jim, appreciate it as always, man. All right, thank you very much. All right, that was Jim Root, Three Man Weave, The Almanac, which you can pre-order today and get your copy a little bit discounted there. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We'll be back after this.